He started to interrupt me. And I said, I heard what you said to the nurse. There is no excuse for being so rude and hanging up on a colleague. Now back to the patient. I disagree that her tachycardia is from anxiety because she is lethargic, lying in the bed, and the tachycardia is new. Additionally, she's breathing 35 times per minute, and her abdomen is very firm, even with the NG tube in place and functioning. I would like you to come to the bedside to evaluate the patient to confirm that what we are seeing does not need any further diagnostics or intervention. He said that he would come. When he did, he took the patient straight to the operating room because she had perfed her bowel. Hey there, I'm your host, Sarah Lorenzini, a rapid response nurse and educator who loves telling stories to teach critical thinking. This podcast is for nurses who want the knowledge, skills, and confidence to respond to any emergency. With almost 20 years of experience in the ER and critical care nursing and a master's degree in nursing education, I have a lot of stories to share, and I love to nerd out and break down the pathophysiology, pharmacology, and nurses' role in emergencies. Stories bring learning to life. It is way easier to learn from and remember the stories that my colleagues and mentors have told me than anything I've read in a textbook. And that is why I made this podcast. Every episode is packed full of exactly what you need to know to handle whatever crisis that could arise on your shift. It's one thing to get the right answer on the test, but knowing how to detect when your patient is declining and what to do when your patient is crashing is what will make or break your day and might just save your patient's life. Hello friends, today I'll be answering a question that I get from a lot of you, as well as from nurses that I work alongside every day. How can I effectively advocate for my patient when the doctor disagrees with me, or I'm intimidated by the doctor, or I'm not even sure what's wrong with my patient? I think we all go into nursing school to help people, but sometimes helping looks like making a difficult phone call or going face-to-face with someone who's difficult to talk to. Nursing is not all holding hands with patients to provide comfort and administering medication to help sick people feel better. There is some of that, but a lot of how we can make a difference in the lives of our patients happens via communication that occurs outside of the room. Learning how to interact with various members of the interdisciplinary team is something that I don't feel like we talked about much in nursing school, but it is a vital skill for being a strong patient advocate. A few quick disclaimers. First of all, all the names of the patients in this episode are made up, not the real names of patients that I've cared for. I also wanted to make clear before I dive in that this episode is about when it's difficult to communicate with physicians. But for the nursing students who are listening, I don't want you to think that that's how doctor-nurse conversations always are. In fact, while I have a lot of stories about difficult doctor-nurse interactions, 99% of the time, I call the provider, I share my concern, they thank me, and order the appropriate intervention. Most of the doctors you work with will want the same thing that you want for your patients to get the best care. No need to be afraid that all physicians are jerks, because most of the ones that I work with are awesome people. Additionally, I will probably use the word doctor for most of the tips and tricks and stories that I share today, but these same techniques work for nurse practitioners, physician assistants, respiratory therapists, physical therapists, any member of the healthcare team that you need to collaborate with and do what's best for your patient. All right, let's start with the basics. So I've seen a lot of nurses be afraid to even call the doctor, not even a mean doctor, just 
having to call the doctor makes them anxious. So I like to begin by saying, the doctor's not your boss, at least not in the hospital setting. He or she did not hire you and they cannot fire you. Your job is to monitor, care for, and advocate for the patient. And their job is to respond to your concerns and collaborate with the entire healthcare team to diagnose and treat diseases. So when you need to call the doctor, you do not need to apologize for making the call. You have done nothing wrong by notifying physician of changes in your patient or informing them that other orders are required for the patient to be given the best care. No one should apologize for doing their job. The postal service worker does not apologize for delivering your package. The pilot does not apologize for landing the plane. And doctors don't need to apologize when they order medications. When people are doing their job, there's no apology needed. So if your job is to monitor the patient and advocate when they have needs, then it's your job to call the doctor and keep them informed. So no need to say, hey, doctor, sorry to bother you. Skip the sorry. Just get straight to the point. All right. And the point is, (laughs) remember SBAR from nursing school? It is a proven communication tool that I use every time I communicate with a physician. So in case you forgot it, here it is. S for situation, B is for background, A is for assessment, and R is for recommendation. So here's an example from a non-urgent communication that I would make to the physician. For urgent or emergent matters, my tone changes and I announce from the beginning that it is urgent, but we'll get to that. Let's start with non-urgent. Hey, Dr. Smith, this is Sarah from the Rapid Response Team. Situation. Your patient James Johnson in 235A went into AFib RVR about 10 minutes ago. Background. This is the patient that was admitted from shortness of breath just yesterday. He's been in sinus rhythm in the 80s until just now. Assessment. Other than his heart rate being in the 130s, he's otherwise stable with the blood pressure of 120 over 80. His oxygen saturation is 97%. He's awake and alert and only complaining of a little heart palpitations. Recommendation. Would you like me to order an EKG and give any rate-controlling medications? So if you are anxious about making a call like that, go ahead and jot a quick note listing out your SBAR. So when you make the call, you can just go down the list and make sure you say everything that you want the provider to know or do. And then end it with a thank you and confirmation that you understood the plan. Thanks, Dr. Smith. That sounds good. I'll get the EKG and go ahead and give the 5 milligrams of metoprolol IV push, and I'll let you know how it goes afterwards. Sounds easy enough, right? So let's move on to the next tier of difficult communications as a nurse. How about when the provider is known for being rude or condescending? You know, it's a shame that I even have to teach tips and tricks for handling unprofessional physicians. Like, it's not 1950 anymore, and it wasn't okay back then, and it's not okay now. But with all the talk about interdisciplinary collaboration and promoting healthy team dynamics, it's amazing that hospitals still allow some of these types of positions to even practice in their facility. But it still happens. So here is how you deal with it. You remove yourself, if possible, from the patient's room. You call out their behavior for being unprofessional and unacceptable. And you create a boundary and a standard for how you will be treated. I'll just give you some examples from what I have seen and experienced myself. The first example is from when I was a new nurse in the ER. I had a patient who was stable. The doctor had ordered a urine specimen. I took the patient to the restroom to collect one, but she couldn't pee. So I walked her back to her room and gave her some water, hoping to try again a little bit. But I got tied up with several very critical patients. It was over an hour before I was able to go back to her. 
the physician who ordered the urinalysis yells from the nurse's station, who's the nurse room five? I said, it's me. He said, why have you not sent her urine yet? I'm ready to discharge her home. That's all I'm waiting for. Why can't you nurses just do your damn job? I was way across the nurse's station, but I walked right up to him and I said, I'm sorry. Did you just yell at me to do my damn job? Can you repeat that? I must have misheard you. He wouldn't repeat it because he realized how much of a jerk he sounded like. I stood my ground and said, that was completely inappropriate and unwise on your part. It does not make me move any faster or promote a positive team dynamic between us or anyone else that heard you yelling. And for your information, I was doing my job. I was prioritizing the care of more critical patients over a patient who is stable enough to go home. I do not need a reminder to send the urine. But if he felt that I did, there was a courteous way to remind me, and that was not it. He stormed off. But that was not his first time acting this way. I heard that he was fired, and I never worked with him again. Moral of the story, don't put up with it. Apologize if you did something wrong, but I didn't feel that I did. I was not negligent. I wasn't just hanging out on my phone at the nurse's station. I was legitimately busy providing patient care. Asking them to repeat back what they just said is a good way for them to realize themselves how much of a jerk they're being. Here's another story with a better outcome. So it's 2011. I am new to the cardiac ICU, but I had been an ER nurse prior. None of the providers know me yet at all, and I'm still in orientation, and my preceptor was in another room. So none of the team really knows that I've had eight years of prior nursing experience and I look like I'm 12, so it's understandable for them to think that I'm a new grad. So during rounds, I asked the nurse practitioner if we should replace the patient's potassium because the patient's been having some increasing ectopy. She responded, all you little new nurses don't know how potassium replacement works. Every patient comes out of the OR with electrolyte replacement orders already. You shouldn't have to ask me, just follow the orders. I responded, first of all, I may be little and younger than you, but I am not new. And even if I was, there's no need to be so condescending. A simple explanation of the protocol or informing me that there is a protocol for replacing potassium would have sufficed. But I already looked for the potassium replacement order and there are no orders for electrolyte replacement at all. She said, that's ridiculous. It's a part of the post-op order set. But when she checked, there were no orders. She actually apologized and we've been friends ever since. Sometimes you just have to call the bullying behavior out and they back down. And in this case, like you all the more. So... Those were encounters that didn't really impact the patient's outcome, just inappropriate interpersonal interactions that needed to be addressed. But what about when you're legitimately concerned about the patient? Then you need to lead with that. Doctor, I am calling you because I am concerned about your patient. So once I called a doctor about a patient with a small bowel obstruction that had worsened dramatically overnight, the night shift nurse didn't want to wake the surgeon. But when day shift came on, she called me as a rep response nurse because the patient's belly looked so much worse than it did when she had had him the day prior. But this doctor was notorious for being rude and yelling at nurses. And so she just wanted to make sure that her concern <laughs> was correct before she called him. I agreed. The amount of distension and the patient's color and tachycardia was cause for concern. So I told her to call him on speakerphone so I could hear it and intervene if he started acting inappropriately. So she made the call even though she didn't want to. She said, hey, doctor, uh, your patient in room 635, Susan Smith, with the small bowel obstruction, she seems to have worsened overnight. Her abdomen is more distended than yesterday and very tender to palpation. She's tachycardic in the 120s and she's less responsive than yesterday. Can you come see her? He said, 
I can't believe you are calling me. That is her baseline. She's just anxious. Have you checked the NG tube? How do you make sure it's working for calling me next time? And he hung up the phone. Oh, buddy, my blood was boiling. It's one thing for a doctor to talk to me with a rude tone. I can handle that. But don't go messing with my fellow nurses. This mama nurse comes out. And to add to it, this patient needed intervention. And he was the one that could provide it. I cannot operate on her intestines. I need his expertise. And he needs mine. And he was about to get an earful of that expertise. So I called him back on the phone. Doctor, this is Sarah from the rapid response team. I'm with your patient at 635, the one that you just spoke with the nurse about and you hung up on her. That was rude and unnecessary. You should be thanking her for informing you of a change in your patient's condition. If you are not concerned about the findings that she described to you, then it's your role as a physician to explain why you're not concerned. By hanging up on her, you are discouraging nurses from notifying you and your patient's crashing. And I know you don't want that. I have a lot more to say about your unprofessional behavior, but for now, I want to focus on what this patient needs. He started to interrupt me, and I said, I heard what you said to the nurse. There is no excuse for being so rude and hanging up on a colleague. Now back to the patient. I disagree that her tachycardia is from anxiety because she is lethargic, lying in the bed, and the tachycardia is new. Additionally, she's breathing 35 times per minute, and her abdomen is very firm, even with the NG tube in place and functioning. I would like you to come to the bedside to evaluate the patient to confirm that what we are seeing does not need any further diagnostics or intervention. He said that he would come. When he did, he took the patient straight to the operating room because she had perfed her bowel. He never came back and apologized, but I sought him out later on and just kindly asked, hey, have you had a chance to consider the interactions we had regarding that patient with the perfed bowel? He said, yeah, you're right. She was sick. I said, oh. I don't need to hear that I was right. That's not why I came to you. I need you to remember that the nurse recognized your patient was sicker and you scolded her for informing you. He responded, but these nurses call me all the time for stupid stuff. And I said, is it not their job to keep you informed of what's happening with your patient? Is there someone else that you want them to notify? He said, it's just excessive. I said, I get it. You're overworked. You don't want to be tied to your phone all the time, but don't take out that frustration on them. They are just doing their job so that you can do yours. Have a great day, doctor. <laughs> so here's where I stand. I think most nurses do not feel the same as me, but for me, it is easier for me to advocate firmly with providers that are being jerks. What is even harder for me is when it's a doctor that I like a lot, who is being completely professional, when they disagree with my concerns. Let me explain. I am a people pleaser to my core, like to a fault. <laughs> I just want to be helpful. And the idea that someone would see me as annoying and not helpful weighs heavily on me. I was always everybody's friend and I work really hard to relate to all types of people. I hate confrontation. Like it hurts. But I know that what would hurt worse is if I didn't speak up and it caused harm in some way. I would rather face the discomfort of confrontation than allow harm to come to my patient or even to allow behaviors to continue that impede patient care. But when I tell you that I hate confrontation, <laughs> if the restaurant messes up my order, I just eat it. <laughs> if someone calls me the wrong name or mispronounces it, I just go with it because those minor confrontations aren't worth it to me. But when I see someone being bullied or patients not getting the care they deserve, 
something rises up in me and gives me the power to overcome my approval addiction and face the problem, even if it means people might not like me. People who say they don't care what people think, they are lying or maybe psychopaths because everyone cares about what people think. However, I decided a long time ago that I can pick which people I care about what they think and which people I do not. So like my team, my rap response team, I care what they think about me. I want them to know that I have their back, both clinically and as their advocate. My boss, Brian, who you met in episode 31, I respect him so much. I care what he thinks. I never want anything to get in the way of us working well together. My husband, I care what he thinks probably more than anyone. I adore that man. But cranky doctor who yelled at me across the nurse's station, he is not on the I care what they think list. I do not have to care what he thinks of me. I have to be respectful in my actions, my tone, my word choice, but I do not have to respect him. Nor does his opinion of me have to affect my day or how I see myself. That surgeon that couldn't be bothered, I don't care what he thinks. He could think I'm annoying. He doesn't make the list either. That bully nurse practitioner, I wanted her to like me, but it was more important to me that her behavior be called out for what it is, rude and condescending, so that she has the opportunity to stop it rather than allow it to continue hoping she disliked me. Nope. <laughs> I knew that my request was not deserving her response, so I nipped that in the bud. And she actually stopped and ultimately became my friend. The point is, when someone is not on the list of people that I care about what they think, <laughs> then it's easy to just go head to head because I'm not worried about risking my reputation with them. They can think whatever they want and be wrong about me, and it does not matter. But where it's hard for me is when the position is someone that I like and I want to like me, but I disagree with them. How do you handle that? So that is when you have to combine the power of clear communication, the S-bar, and cuss. <laughs> you heard me right, cuss. <laughs> so cussing is actually an acronym, C-U-S. C is for the word concerned, U for uncomfortable, and S for safety. I learned this from Team Steps a long time ago, so I want to get in the credit because it has been very helpful in giving me the verbiage to aid in my advocacy efforts. So cussing at the doctor sounds like this, tier one. Doctor, I am concerned that the patient is declining. Or I am concerned about this change in the patient. I'm concerned about giving a calcium channel blocker and a beta blocker and the amiodarone you just ordered. Hopefully the word concerned gets their attention. Tier two. I feel uncomfortable about this patient being on an unmonitored bed. I would feel more comfortable with them being in PCU. Or I'm uncomfortable with administering this high of a dose, whatever that is. I am uncomfortable with waiting until rounds is over. I think you should come assess their leg right now. If the uncomfortable word doesn't raise warning flags for them, then the last cuss word to drop is safety. Doctor, this feels unsafe. It does not seem safe to have this patient on BiPAP when they've been vomiting. I feel unsafe transporting this patient to Cascam without an airway established. It's unsafe to keep bullying this patient with fluids not knowing why their blood pressure is dropping. It is unsafe to have a patient on two vasopressors without an arterial line for accurate blood pressure monitoring. It's unsafe for you to continue this procedure. The patient's oxygen saturation is dropping. Like This is big guns. You start cussing with the S word and it gets the whole room's attention. <laughs> I reserve the safety word for when other cuss words haven't worked. The first cuss word is concern, then you for uncomfortable. If they haven't got the response I wanted, 
that I dropped the S-bomb. All right. (laughs) And sometimes I have very little data to make my case with. Like every once in a while, I'll just tell the doctor, and not every doctor, only doctors that I have a good rapport with, listen, I know that the vital signs are better now, but I just have a bad feeling about this patient. Can we just check this thing? Or can we just move into the ICU just in case? We can always downgrade tomorrow if I'm wrong. Another thing is I don't tell them what to do or to order unless it's emergent. For some personalities, that will make them not want to do it just because you said they should. (laughs) So sometimes you have to plant the idea and let them decide. For example, doctor, how would you feel about giving some fluids to see if their heart rate and blood pressure could improve after a little volume? Or we've already given two liters of fluid and their blood pressure is not responding. At what point would you like me to start a vasopressor? Or do you think we should get a CAT scan to rule out a pulmonary embolism? They do have risk factors. I say it with a smile and it almost always works. You don't want your tone to put them on the defensive. No one operates at their best when they're also trying to defend themselves. Sometimes I just don't understand why a doctor would order what they did. But the word why also puts people on the defensive. So I try to not use that particular word even when I'm asking a question. So I don't say, why did you order that? I would say, hey, doc, I saw your order for blah, blah, blah. For the sake of my learning, what is the rationale for giving it to this patient? They're usually happy to teach me. And then I learned something new. They're happy to share their knowledge. But if it was an error, well, they get to correct it. So I've learned a lot (laughs) through this strategy. I highly recommend it. The final provider communication tip that I want to share has to do with communicating with residents or doctors in training. I work at a teaching hospital, and I love it. What a privilege to be a part of their training and help them learn early on what are and are not acceptable ways to interact with nurses, and also to come alongside them and help them be successful and learn what they need to be amazing physicians. But interacting with them sometimes does have its challenges. You know, they're scared too. They have so much to learn and are given so much responsibility really fast. They're rotating through so many different specialties and services, and every different service does things a little differently. They work long hours, and they kind of walk a delicate line of being expected to know everything since they have MD behind their name, but also being honest with themselves that they're still learning. So all the techniques that I've already mentioned still apply. But as nurses, we have to be patient as they develop their plan of care. So SBAR still applies. You can still cuss if you need to. In case you were distracted during my cuss explanation, I don't actually mean C-U-S-S. Cuss is an acronym for the power words that you would drop to clearly convey if there's a problem. So it's, I am concerned, I feel uncomfortable, and this is not safe. Often, I'll just drop my idea. Hey, doc, how do you feel about checking lactic acid? Or do you think a beta blocker might help? And I give them time to work through all of the differential diagnoses in their head and all the pathophysiology they've learned and the pharmacology of each option. If there's no rush, I don't rush. But if the patient's crashing, I am much more directive. Doc, this patient is not protecting the airway we need to intubate. We do not have time to wait for fluids to finish. Their blood pressure is 60 over 40. They're unresponsive. They need a vasopressor. Or sometimes they just order the wrong dose or the wrong med for the situation. Doctor, I don't know if magnesium will help. The patient's in sinus tachycardia at a rate of 120 with no ectopy. She appears to be dehydrated. I don't think tachycardia is the problem. It's just the symptom. Can we start with IV fluids first? Or, 
doctor, one milligram of Ativan is not enough. The patient is in status epilepticus. I'm used to giving four milligrams of Ativan for refractory seizures like this. Or I agree that they are fluid overloaded, but I don't feel comfortable giving Lasix yet because their blood pressure is 70 over 40. Again, every time I have to weigh out if I have time to just share my observation and maybe an idea or suggestion, but let them come to their own conclusions, or when I just need to say what has to happen next. And when you have time to share observations, you can do it in a way that will help point them towards what needs to happen for the patient. My favorite example of this is one of my rep response is Elizabeth. She did this when she knew the patient was in DKA, even though they had not been diagnosed with it yet. So I'll try to reenact it for you. So the doctor's in the room and she says, so Mr. Patient, you've been peeing a lot, you said. Yeah. Oh, and you've been feeling extra thirsty, like drinking a lot of water. Yeah. Hmm. And you're having some abdominal pain too. Okay. And your blood sugars have been way higher than normal. I, I think I heard the nurse saying it was in the 500s and they can't really control the blood sugar. <sighs> So she's trying to let them come to the diagnosis of DKA themselves, which they ultimately did. You know, I gain nothing from schooling the residents, but everyone wins if they walk away feeling like they've learned something new. And I want them to know that I have their back and plan to use my years of experience to help them succeed, not make them feel stupid. I got the greatest compliment the other day. A resident came up to me and said she was anxious about her upcoming ICU rotation and having to respond to rapids but that she heard from other residents that the rapid response nurses would have her back and help her with the rapids. I assured her that this was true <laughs> and that we would get her through her IC rotation and we would get to save some lives together. I was really proud of my team knowing that was the reputation we developed. So I'm getting off on a tangent. Let me bring it back and summarize. Doctors are humans just like you. They also want to do what's right for the patient. They are also tired and overworked and have too many patients. SBAR, was not just for the NCLEX. I use it every day. It will help you stay clear and concise and get to the point. If the doctor does not respond with what you think is best for your patient, evaluate how urgent it is that the intervention occurs. If you still feel strongly that something needs to happen, then it's time to start cussing. <laughs> the words concern, uncomfortable, and this is not safe, carry some weight to them. So use them sparingly so they have more power but know that they're a great tool in your patient advocate tool belt. Most people don't respond well to being told what to do, including doctors. So share your observations. Use the, how would you feel about this idea tactic? And if you have a question about an order, try to ask your question in a non-accusatory tone that does not put them on the defensive. And finally, wouldn't you rather feel silly for saying something when there was no emergency than feeling regret? that a patient was harmed because you didn't say something. You are your patient's advocate when they cannot speak for themselves. And you can also be your own advocate and advocate for the nursing profession as a whole and not allow disruptive, rude, and bullying behavior to continue. I hope that my stories and tips help you feel more confident next time you have to have a hard conversation, knowing that the end result will be worth the uncomfortableness of that little confrontation. You've got this. Before you go, I just wanted to let you know that if you like this episode, you would probably like my course too. My one-hour rapid response and rescue course is an introduction to how I approach emergencies. If you would like to learn to think, assess, and respond quickly when your patient is crashing, 
then you can check out my website, rapidresponseandrescue.com. And if you message me the word podcast on Instagram, I will send you a coupon code for $10 off the cost of the course. Oh, and did I mention that the course is approved by the AACN and worth one continuing education contact hour? So if you want to level up your emergency response skills and get one CE in the process, then this course is what you want. I put the link in the show notes for you. Well, thanks for listening. I hope you learned something that will save a life. Remember, nursing is a team sport. So trust your intuition and don't give up advocating until you are confident you've done what's right by your patient. The views and opinions expressed on this show are that of Sarah Lorenzini and hers alone. They are not intended as medical advice and should not take the place of your institution's policies or procedures. Evidence-based practice is ever-changing and your patient care should reflect the current best practice. If you want to get in contact with Sarah, you can find her at rapidresponseandrescue.com or on social media platforms as The Rapid Response RN. Before you go, I just wanted to let you know that if you like this episode, you would probably like my course too. My one-hour Rapid Response and Rescue course is an introduction to how I approach emergencies. If you would like to learn to think, assess, and respond quickly when your patient is crashing, then you can check out my website, rapidresponseandrescue.com. And if you message me the word podcast on Instagram, I will send you a coupon code for $10 off the cost of the course. Oh, and did I mention that the course is approved by the AACN and worth one continuing education contact hour? So if you want to level up your emergency response skills and get one CE in the process, then this course is what you want. I put the link in the show notes for you. Well, thanks for listening. I hope you learned something that will save a life. Remember, nursing is a team sport, so trust your intuition and don't give up advocating until you are confident you've done what's right by your patient. The views and opinions expressed on this show are that of Sarah Lorenzini and hers alone. They are not intended as medical advice and should not take the place of your institution's policies or procedures. Evidence-based practice is ever-changing and your patient care should reflect the current best practice. If you want to get in contact with Sarah, you can find her at rapidresponseandrescue.com or on social media platforms as The Rapid Response RN. 